Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 19 and 20 of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. How's your week? What's up? Hey, Abby, guess what? Oh, God, what? It's our 10th episode. <laughs> really? I am proud of us. We have made it through the ringer. Yeah. How is your week? Um, This week was super exciting for me. I was absolutely elated. Oh, that's a big word. Yes, I was thrilled because I have recommended time and time again to my family and my friends books and shows to watch or read or listen to right Mm -hmm. and other than like a few close people like abby you yourself most of the time it's just like yeah sure okay and like just kind of goes in one ear out the other right especially my family i think they just kind of like amuse me by listening to my recommendations alone but my sister actually read and finished akatar she read the first book and she finished it i was pretty mad that she didn't give me reaction texts. Sunshine. Right? Ugh. I told this girl. We talked about it. It's all right. I got onto her. I told her, I want reaction texts. I want to know her thoughts, her feelings. I want to know all of it. I don't care what time it is. We literally have an Akatar podcast, girlfriend. Yes. I was like, keep me up to speed. I don't care what time it is. I don't care if we disagree. I want to know everything. All of it. We are adults. I don't care. <sighs> nothing. Nothing. She just, she sent me a text. She sent me three texts in all caps. It said, Libby, Libby, Libby. And I was like, what? She was like, I finished it. I was like, what do you mean you finished it? You haven't told me anything. I'm both happy and angry. But because of that, I get to share with you some of her thoughts. She, she now forfeits the right to tell me I can't do that. So sue me. Oh, did you ask her? I did not. She's gonna. She's gonna find out. Oh, I love it. Sue me, sunshine. It's all right. It's okay. It's cool. Okay. So there were there were a few things. Let's let's scroll back up. Let's start from the beginning. The Libby's. Libby, Libby, Libby. Yeah, I finished the first book. I was like, when? She was like, just now. And I'm not gonna say when because she'll probably get in trouble when I divulge that. But she she finished it at a time, and I said you were supposed to send me reaction texts. She was like, well, I got sucked into reading. Couldn't bother with my phone. And you know what? If that's not my sister, then I don't know what else is. Uh, I, I don't even know if she always knows where her phone is. She said, I knew Reese was hiding something. I knew he was se- secretly trying to help. Okay. She found a lot of things out that we will get to. We will touch on. And she feels bad for certain characters who will remain unnamed at this point. And... I, I'm just on the edge of my seat, Abby. We've read the books. We know what happens. I don't know how she's able to stop where she is and like not keep reading immediately. I'm like, keep going. Keep going. She even said, she was like, you know, I struggled. She struggled with like the first fourth of the book. And then she was like, but all of a sudden I was like halfway through and then I was done. Like it sucked her in finally. I was like, yes, yes, that's how it goes. Like, you got to push through a little bit before you get to all the craziness. I mean, realistically, who didn't struggle a little bit to get through the first couple chapters? Even we did. 
That's true. Honestly, that most books I feel like work that way. You can love a series. You can love a book. That doesn't mean it's going to suck you in immediately. immediately. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Cool. But it's okay to not be in love right when you begin. But I've been pestering my sister and I had given up. I had given up. I was like, she's just never going to read it. She's going to not listen to the podcast, whatever. But she read it. And now I'm going to bully her into reading the second book and... I won't have to bully her into reading the third because you know what happens at the end of the second to make you read the third. So, and we're not going to tell you that because you're going to have to stay along the ride and listen to the episodes here. You're going to have to figure it out. Yeah. Whirlwind of emotion. I love her, but if she doesn't send me reaction text to book two, it's unforgivable. You're going to lose it. That is not negotiable. Like I can forgive book one reaction text not being sent. Book two, don't you dare. That is my comfort book. How many times have I listened to or read this, Abby? Like I'm gonna guess over ten. We're gonna we're gonna just stick with that number. Yeah, let's let's move on. Oh my god. Well, okay, so I've got a couple things this week. Number one, do you remember how I told you that I broke my office chair? Yes. Because everybody knows the saga now of Abby falling and hurting herself. I think at this point I might even put a picture of my bruise on my arm. You should before it goes away. Is it still? Is it still bad? Can you? St- oh yeah, you can. You you really should. That's nasty. And you know what's funny? It's like right over, right under this really pretty tattoo you have. So it's just kind of like ironic. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I just want to let everybody know. I did buy another office chair. I am a cauldron blessed now. My office chair is coming in in a week because they do not do like prime shipping like they do in the States. Um, Prime shipping is like within the month, not within a day. (laughs) So I'm very excited because my new chair comes in. And now I, if you can see me, I'm sitting crooked, Libby. I don't know if you've noticed this whole time. I'm sitting crooked because my chair is broken. Anyway. What court aesthetic is your new chair, Abby? Mm, I'm going to go with the Dawn Court because it's white. Ooh. Maybe the wind. Okay. I can, I like that. I feel like the Dawn Court doesn't get enough love yet. I want to know more about them. No. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with them or it could be Starlight White if we want to go Night Court. I mean. Yeah, I'm going to go with Night Court one. Yeah, either one. Those are both really good court. Next thing. I have started and completed a book series. Two separate ones. Like I started one and completed one. So I completed the Haunting of Adeline series. On my TBR. It is a lot. There are some warnings in the beginning of both of the books of the series. Um, there, there are some trigger warnings. Please abide by them. She's not kidding. The author is not kidding with those warnings. I thought there's no way these actually need to be in there. That's silly. No, they need to be in there. Now, granted, is it one of the book series that will stay with me for the rest of my life and I will never forget? Yeah, it's really good. It's just a lot. And then I started Throne of Glass. Now, this is my last SJM like series. As I was explaining to Libby and my other best friend, Lindsay, it feels like the ending of an era because I don't have another world of SJM to jump into. I've already read Crescent City, Avatar, of course. And so I've been like saving Throne of Glass as like when I'm emotionally ready to start it, I'm not emotionally ready and I'm starting it anyway. I'm having a little bit of an issue getting into it. I'm like three to four chapters in, but we'll see. I'm very excited. That was the first two things. Last thing. Before you get into your last thing, I just want to reassure you that as of now, Bloomsbury has signed a four book deal with SJM, our bestie. So she does have a future of four books. Another series coming? I don't know that it's a new series. I know it's probably going to include House of Flame and Shadow, the third Crescent City. It's probably also, that probably also includes 
the next Akatar book. Right. Which is rumored to come out in 2025, I believe. I will sob when that happens. So there are future books from SJM Expected, but it's a four book deal that we are aware of at this time. And there's also three other books under commission at the publisher, it says, like when I'm like Googling stuff. Yeah, so there's there's a future possibility of seven books, two of which we already know being Crescent City and Akatar. So that leaves two for sure books coming that we don't know about and then three more books that we also don't know about. So I am very glad to hear that, but it still doesn't negate the fact that they're as of now. There's not another world for me to step into. Yeah, that's true. And both of these series have affected me so much. And I know I've heard that uh, Throne of Glass is a life changer. I have to agree. I cried at times in Akatar. Throne of Glass touched me deeply. There were times where I could relate and I could connect so well. And gosh, just the character detail the character arc the the growth of the main character it's it's phenomenal hands down there are no bad books for me with sjm and i i love akatar with a passion i love crescent city with a passion throne of glass has has a chokehold on me that they said it honestly changed their life so it is life-changing it is fine but when i started it i had a hard time just like with akatar like I really did. The first the first book, especially, I was like, this is not good. Like, not not good. It just is not as... Uh, I am not getting into it. It doesn't suck you in quickly. Right. I was like, there's not enough happening. There's not enough to draw me in. But then all of a sudden, just like my sister, you're halfway done and then it's over and you're like, whoa, how did that happen? So it's it's a wild ride, Abby. It is. But I get, I get your feelings. I, I too... I'm I'm struggling to finish. I've got two more books left in Throne of Glass and I'm struggling to start them because I too am not ready for the war the ride to be over, especially since I'll have to wait till the end of January for Crescent City 3 for any anything more. My hope was to read Throne of Glass this month when I took the whole month off. Guess what I didn't do? You didn't, you didn't read the Throne of Glass when you took the whole month off? No, because I didn't. Because I didn't take the month. No, I've worked continuously for the last two weeks. There are technically two weeks left of this month, but I next week's already completely booked. And so I will have one week off. So I will definitely take some time to read. Just not like what I was hoping. Um, but I have started a couple old hobbies again. Um, reading is one of them. And specific, I started crocheting again. I'm crocheting a blanket for my little cousin's baby. Can you put it on our story? Because so cute. Yeah. And I've been listening to uh, Silver Flames, again, an audiobook, and it's been really nice to be able to listen to that while I'm crocheting, because then I have something going with my hands, which is why I love audiobooks so much. Um, but it's been really nice. I really enjoy crocheting. If we have any other, like, old grandmas that listen. <gasps> Ooh, send us your crochet art. We can, can we, uh, for real, I want to put yours on there, and then if anyone sends us their crochet art, let's put theirs on our story, too. Please. To this podcast, can you please show me your crocheted things? So, Abby. This week's question, it's a fun one. Um, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? This took absolutely zero seconds to think of. <laughs> I knew the minute you asked that question exactly what my answer was. It is called, it is revolutionary. It is such a bad movie that I invited, after watching it with my husband, I invited one of my best friends over, gave her a bottle of wine, and we sat down and laughed our way through this movie. Not because it was funny. Because of how bad it is. Oh, oh. 
It is on Hulu. It is a Christmas movie and it's called The 12 Pups of Christmas. Now, I have the synopsis here. Can I read it for you? Please, please do. Okay. Recently single and starting her new job in a different city, Erin, a canine therapist, is getting a fresh start. But just when she thought her new life would be the reset she needed, her self-centered boss, Martin, tasks Erin with finding homes for 12 puppies who were left behind after a photo shoot for his struggling GPS locator company. And all before Christmas. As they work together, Erin realizes Martin may not be so bad after all. And her take charge attitude not only helps Martin save his company, but also <laughs> reveals a calmer, better self that opens them both up to the idea of love. Wow. Wow. I gotta highlight a couple things. She is a canine therapist. Like, she does therapy for the canines? What kind of therapy? Is it, like, rehabilitative physical therapy? She talks on their behalf. Stop it. No. I was, I 100% thought you would be like, yeah, like, physical therapy for a dog that was injured. I was like, that's a stretch, but okay. No, she is a mental therapist. She tells people why their dogs are upset. (laughs) For dogs that aren't even her own. Dogs that she has no mm-hmm. personal relationship, no way of knowing their behaviors or attitudes. Correct. She she meets some rando dog and is like, your your dog is like, they're hurting. They're deeply insulted. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. And it gets better because she moves from her big tech job in New York to a small town. Hallmark, come on. She moves to the small town and she moves in with her boss. Or her boss's sister. Do you think it's because, like, there's not really a market for dog therapy and she had to? <laughs> I, I have no idea. I can't remember that much. <laughs> but what I know is she moves in and the day that she moves into this house, they throw her a party. The night she moves in, she has yet to unpack and there's hundreds of people at the house to meet her. And during this party... There's Christmas music playing. And while she's sitting there, everyone's like, oh, you have to join us. You have to sing Christmas carols. And she's quiet. Then Jingle Bells comes on. And she looks at the camera and goes, oh, I know this one. (laughs) And starts singing. And James and I still quote that every time a song comes on. We're like, oh, I know this one. And so if you are ever having a bad night and you just need to make yourself have a better time and you're in the Christmas spirit... The 12 Pups of Christmas. It has no storyline. It makes absolutely no sense, but it is a hell of a ride. Well, so did she, she moved to the small town? Did she save the business? I can't tell you. You can't tell us? You got to make them watch it. Oh my God. I can't tell you. You have to watch it. Great. Yeah. Libby, what is your least worst movie you've ever seen? As of right now, it's my worst movie. I've seen a lot of really bad movies. I'm probably, I'm sure I've seen worse movies than this, but like, This is the most recent worst movie I've seen. And I want to apologize to my mom in advance because my mom, she referred it to me and she truly enjoyed the movie, which is fine if you do. I hated it. And I'm so sorry, mom. It's nothing against you. It just, it was the worst. And I'm sure, you know what? Oh my God. She can't get mad at me because I made, I made her watch Twilight in middle school when I was like a middle schooler. So I'm sure to her, that was like the worst movie. It's not that I hate you. I just hate your movie choices. So like, it's okay. Like I've had bad movies. We all do it. This was a horrible movie. It's called Maybe I Do. And good Lord, good Lord. 
And it's so frustrating because the cast alone is so promising, you know? Like Susan Sarandon? Come on, Richard Gere, Diane Keaton, Emma Roberts? Like we had really good casting. There really was. You had Richard Gere. You had Pretty Woman. There was hope there. Come on. No. So, okay. It, I'm going to read the little the little blip here. It says, two married couples, both in the upper echelons of middle age. Each couple is bored. Echelons. Echelons. I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm assuming it's echelons. 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 All right. Keep that in. Each couple is bored and disinterested in their own way. He's too nice. She's too uptight. He's too caddish. She's too wanton. In their desperation, these spouses drift into affairs. Sexual, emotional, somewhere in between. All of which are allowed to go under the radar until their kids decide that maybe, kind of, sort of, they might want to marry each other. And it all blows up in their faces. So basically, you got Emma Roberts and you got Luke Bracey. And they're, like, dating. They're together. They Their parents have never met each other. They've met each other's parents, but their parents haven't met each other. Well... Emma Roberts is like, I want to get married. And Luke's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. Like, why don't we just leave things the way they are? And she's upset by this and is just like, I love you, but you need to decide. It's just, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of talking, but not really saying anything and very overly cheesy. It's so bad. So she is like, I'm going to go home to my parents. And it's like, oh, okay. And then he's like, well, I can't stay here now. And he goes home to his. So they leave their empty apartment. They just, yeah, nobody stays at the apartment. They both go home to their parents. Meanwhile, we find out that Luke's mom is having an affair with Emma's dad. And Luke's dad is having an affair with Emma's mom. No. But these parents haven't met each other. So they don't know that their kids are dating each other. Wait, if they've... If they're dating, haven't they been to each other's houses and seen, like, pictures on the wall? The kids have, but the parents haven't met the other parents. If that, I know, I know, Abby. It's a lot. It's a lot. And eventually all the affairs come out. And to be fair, Diane Keaton and William Macy, who also a phenomenal actor. William Macy is from Shameless. Love Shameless. So... Yes. So he's a phenomenal actor, too. So William Macy and Diane Keaton uh, have, like, an emotional affair, I guess. They met They met once, and they spent the night walking around town talking uh, about their, their lives and their past. Meanwhile, we find out Richard Gere and Susan Sarandon have been having a sexual affair for, like, four months. And yet, somehow, both affairs are treated equally as bad. Just as bad as one another. And, like, Richard Gere, by the end of it, is, like, telling <laughs> Diane Keaton, you know, because he ended the affair, and he's like, you know, it, I I didn't realize what I had until I did all this, and now I know, now I know that I only want you. And, like, they work it out, and they say, no, I'm sorry. This just sounds so frustrating. I'm sorry. You should, if you didn't know, you shouldn't have been here. Skylar? If you need to go do, you leave first. You do not tell me that you tested the waters, but now you know. Nuh-uh. No, bud. Not going to happen. Glad you tested it out. Do you know James and I have always said that? Yeah, yes. We would much rather we break up. Or at this point, it's not a breakup. It's called divorce. We would much rather get divorced um, without cheating than be cheated on. Absolutely. That's what we've said, too. Yeah. Well, and then Susan Sarandon and William Macy, they, they break up. 
But it's okay because the kids get married. They get married after deciding the only way to decide if they truly should get married is by bringing their parents into it and having one big family dinner where everyone sits down and decides if they, for them, if they should get married. It's what? Ew. Talk about mother-in-law problems. It just, no. Like I never, never once was I ever like, you know, mom, dad, I really need you to sit down with Skylar's parents and you guys all need to decide for us. If we can get married. Hell no. It, it makes no sense. It's cheesy in the worst way. It's cringy. It's a lot of talking, like non-stop talking. It's just bad. Libby, I don't want to talk about this movie anymore because I feel like if I watched it, I would cry from boredom. It, it's so boring, but I watched it because I was like, you know, my mom really liked it. Like I, I was trying to do it for her and mom, I'm, I'm sorry. You're a trooper. I don't know how you made it through because this Everything about this. Libby's mom, I gotta tell you, she texted me the minute she watched this and was not impressed. My mom's gonna be so mad at me after this podcast. I'm so sorry. It is nothing against my mom. She has recommended phenomenal movies that this was not. No. Okay. There's my worst movie right now. I'm still heated that I watched it. (laughs) As you could tell. Oh, gosh. You ready for your chapter? Chapter 19. Favor's paint supplies arrive, but Tamlin first leads her to the art gallery he had cleaned and reopened just for her. At first glance, Favor is both speechless and breathless by the vast array of paintings surrounding her. Favor could see the voices speaking to her, telling their stories within the framed pieces lining the walls. Favor is overwhelmed with emotions the art guides her to feel, and Tamlin is surprised, seemingly, that humans could appreciate or maybe feel so deeply. Favor searches for the words to relay to Tamlin how much it all means to her but can only let out a simple thank you. Tamlin tells her she is free to come whenever she wants, and Favor stays for hours, so long that she doesn't leave until she is undeniably hungry. After lunch, Alice shows Favor to her painting room, filled with more resources than she imagined existed. Again, left breathless, Favor paints. Weeks pass, and Favor paints, never showing anyone despite Tamlin's urging. She wasn't ready. Her works weren't ready. She would spend her time in that painting room or painting in the gardens, but sometimes she would explore the spring grounds with Tamlin now as her guide. Some days, Tamlin would be called away to deal with threats. Feyre didn't want to know anything other than he had safely returned. She stayed within the safety of the manor grounds and used her ongoing nightmares to paint the horrors she had seen and some, at this time, had only imagined. But slowly, Feyre became less afraid and reminded herself of the Surreal's words to stay with the High Lord, which she did. Favor began to appreciate the beauty and the magic of the spring court and the High Lord protecting it. One morning, Favor realized she hadn't given much thought to her family or the life she had been taken from. She spent that day staring at a blank canvas. She reeled over the thought that she was forgotten back home and pretty much as good as dead to them all. Tamlin let her forget them too. He had used the art to distract her. Or had he used it to shut her up? Favor sat in a silent fury through dinner with Tamlin and Lucian. After, she stormed aimlessly through the garden, not caring where she went. Tamlin came up behind her and told her that the rose garden she was currently in was a mating present to his mother from his father. Favor only saw the flowers that she had painted on the table back home, probably now gone. Favor still hurting over the fact that she had been erased from them in that life, and Tamlin had been the one to do it, and she had let him. Tamlin cautiously comments on Feyre seeming upset. Favor rips the nearby rose with no hesitation or care for the thorn slicing her skin. She admits she feels ashamed for leaving, 
but she doesn't know why anymore. She doesn't understand why doing things like painting makes her feel guilty. She had given and given so much, and they didn't even try to stop Tamlin from taking her. They let it happen. They didn't come for her. They didn't care. Feyre acknowledges her self-pity is absurd, but Tamlin assures her that it is not. Tamlin takes her bloody rosed, injured fingers and kisses the palm of her hand. Tamlin tells her not to feel bad about pursuing joy and places a thornless rose behind her ear. He tells her he is drawn to her and her human joy, even when he shouldn't be. Faber realizes that she is human and will grow old, all while Tamlin kisses her on the cheek, assuring her that one day she will have answers when the time is right and the world is safer. The next day, Faber set a trap and climbs a tree to wait. She hears a snap and a ferocious roar. Then she goes to find Tamlin, hoisted above the ground by his legs in the snare she had set. He smiles and calls her a cruel human, and she reprimands him for stalking her. Feyre approaches and strokes Tamlin's hair, to which Tamlin purrs. Feyre's heart is beating loudly as she wonders how it would feel to be pressed skin to skin to the High Lord. Tamlin frees himself and lands upright with ease before giving Feyre a piece of paper containing poems. Five. Five lined poems. Each containing a word from her list Tamlin got from the trash bin. We learn Tamlin is the title holder for the dirtiest limerick writing in the war bands. As they head back to the manor, Farah asks why Tamlin's parents were mated and not married. Tamlin explains, to find your one and only mate is to find your true, unmatched equal in every way. Mating is deeper than marriage, and your mate is also a predetermined fate. Farah asks where his parents were, and Tamlin explains that his father was worse than even Lucian's had been. He kept slaves. His brothers had too. Tamlin promised himself that he would never be the same. Favor thanks him for this, and then asks where his mother was. He tells her that his mother deeply loved his father, too deeply, and would never stand against him, even if he was a tyrant. Tamlin joined the warbands to escape them all, thinking he could only fight and kill worthwhile. That and play a mean fiddle. While he was gone, his family had been killed by a high lord of an enemy court. He was spared and mourned only his mother. His brothers were just as cruel as his father. Favor apologized for the loss of his mother, but voiced that this was how he became High Lord then? Tamlin confirms, stating that the title fell to him, and he had so little training for it. Favor sees unlit fires being built in the distance, and asks what they're for. Tamlin tells her it's bonfires for Kalanmai. Kalanmai was in two days, also called Fire Night. Favor had no idea what this is. They don't celebrate holidays in the human realm. Tamlin uncomfortably tells her it's just a spring ceremony. Bonfires are lit and the magic that they create helps regenerate the land for the year ahead. They were asked how they create the magic and Tamlin admits that it's through a fey ritual but gives no further details. He tells her there will be more fey than normal as fey from other courts can freely roam for the night. Tamlin tells her to stay away and to stay in the house. She is not invited. As they return to the garden, Tamlin stiffens and tells Feyre to stay hidden. He disappears and Feyre hides behind a nearby hedge to eavesdrop. She sees Tamlin and Lucian and hears Tamlin speaking to someone who did not seem to be there. A deep, bodiless voice warns Tamlin his behavior is stirring interest at a court and she wonders why Tamlin has not given up. And somehow four Naga have also ended up dead as well. Lucian defends Tamlin saying he's not going to bow down. The voice tells them both that she isn't pleased about the warriors being sent out. But since nothing has come of it, she's chosen to look the other way. Tamlin says to tell her that he is sick of cleaning off the trash she's leaving on his borders. The voice tells them that those are gifts being set loose, reminders of what happens if the terms are broken. Lucian spits back that the terms won't be broken, but to get out. Tamlin growls in agreement, and the voice laughs that Tamlin may have a heart of stone, but fear is kept within it. 
The voice takes off with the sound of flapping leathery wings. Tamlin tells Feyre that it is gone. Lucian demands to know what Feyre had heard. Feyre stammers that she heard nothing she understood, then asks who that even was or what that was. Tamlin only tells her that human legends are inspired by certain fairies, and that was one of them. Favor wonders to herself if she was the being that had killed Tamlin's parents. Lucian worries to Tamlin that the adder could have seen her, but Tamlin cuts him off, saying it didn't, then dismisses them both until dinner. Favor doesn't argue and heads back to the manor again, wondering who she was that made Tamlin and Lucian so afraid, but the answer whispers through the air that she did not want to know. Chapter 20. Dinner that night was tense. Lucian and Tamlin barely said a word to each other. Feyre went into her room after dinner and didn't leave the manor at all the following day. She sat down to paint and what filled her canvas was a monstrous creature that was so scary she had to put the painting in the back of the room where she couldn't stumble upon it. She was so terrified that she was going to find Alice to see if she could distract Feyre by helping with the fire night food prep. She needed to do anything except go to the garden where she feared the adder could show up. Kalanmai, as Tamlin called it, was that evening the fire night. She hadn't seen Tamlin or Lucian all day. Around dusk, she left her paintings and headed to the kitchen, but found no servants present, and all the food vanished. All Feyre could hear was the sound of drumbeats. They were far away, way past the garden, but she could clearly hear them summoning across the land. Feyre walked to the garden doors and stared out into the beautiful sunset. She could see fires glittering in the distance. Longing tugged at her, but she swiftly reminded herself that she was not invited to this party. The drums became faster and louder. Magic was more familiar to Feyre now, but her nose still stung with the strongest metallic smell she'd yet witnessed. She took a step outside and then paused. Feyre knew she should return inside, but she seemed to be pulled forward, forward towards the drums. She would have gone, but Tamlin appeared down the hall. She asked him where he was going, and he dryly replied, Cal and my that he had to go. Feyre asked what he would be doing there. He said as the High Lord, he was partaking in the Great Rite. He didn't explain further, but instead demanded Feyre go to her bedchamber. She was not to leave under any circumstances and to remain inside until the next morning. She continued prodding him with questions, but he wouldn't answer. He repeated that she needed to stay in her bedchamber again and then took off running into the garden. Feyre did head to her bedchamber, but only after did she realize that she'd done so without dinner. More fires burned in the distance, and the pounding drums continued, and Feyre began to pace around her room. She knew she was to stay in her room, but felt a voice drifting through her mind, saying, Go. Go see. Feyre made it to 10 p.m. before she couldn't take it anymore. She needed to go to where the drums led. After going to the stables and hopping on her white mirror bareback, Feyre made her way towards the drums. Making her way through the air full of smoke and magic, Feyre came to her first giant bonfire at the top of the hill. She found herself glamoured. She couldn't see the faces of any of the hundred of high fae around her, only vague outlines of their masks. She got down from her horse, but Feyre kept her near. She walked behind the crowd, hoping her human-like features were hidden behind her hood. She saw a group of drummers playing on the side of the fire, but people didn't surround them. Rather, they gathered in between the two close hills. Feyre tied her horse and abandoned her to follow the crowd. She nearly fell down a steep hill while entering the hollow, but found a cave before her. The entrance of the cave was decorated with flowers and greenery. She couldn't see farther inside, save for a pelt-lined floor, but firelight came from within. She was unsure what was happening there, but could tell it was important. There were people lined up from the cave's entrance throughout the hills waiting for whatever was to come. Pharaoh was confused as why she was being banned from this. She made her way back up the steep hill, near the bonfire, and watched the fairies. She almost got the courage to ask a Lester fairy what was going to happen, but somebody grabbed her arm. Three strangers were before her, maskless. She thought they looked like high fae, but something was off. 
They were taller and leaner than Tam or Lucian, but also seemed to be more cruel. Human woman, we have not seen any of your kind for a while, it smiled, revealing pointed teeth. Feyre tried to free herself, but the fairy's grasp didn't falter. Feyre asked what they were doing, and they replied with, Just some fire night fun. He ran his too long hand through her hair. She tried to run again, but failed. No one around them seemed to notice. The three menacing strangers came closer. Feyre begged them to leave her alone, but they only let her know that once the rite was performed, they could actually have some fun. It would be a treat for them, finding a human woman. She yelled for them to get their hands off her, but not a single person around them reacted. She begged for them to stop but they only came closer. They were forcing her towards the tree line into complete darkness. One of them shoved her and Feyre began to fall, but two strong hands caught her before she hit the grass and gently set her on her feet. There you are. I've been looking for you, said the owner of the hands in a sensual voice. Feyre kept her eyes on the evil Fay before her as the man slipped his arm around her shoulders. The three in front of her became nervous, their eyes widening. The stranger thanked the lesser fairies for finding Feyre, and with dismissal told them to enjoy the rite. The three returned back to the bonfires. Faye returned and saw the most beautiful man she'd ever seen. Ugh, I'm so excited. I am like, oh, I'm grinning. Just, there's so much. So much. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Woo. I have to tell you, when I was reading and writing the chapter summary, I just got chills because I just know this is the start of so much. Like, this moment starts the rest of the series. And it's so important, but at the time of reading this, you have no idea. I know. I know. Well, we got our cliffhangers back. Don't worry. There's a lot. There's a lot going on in both chapters. We're in the meat and potatoes of this book now. We've gone past the world building and character learning, and now we're actually getting to the plot, and it feels so good. I will say it was really cute for a second when Feyre had hurt her fingers on the rose and when Tamlin like went to like kind of like kiss he almost like oh but then like when she was like and the blood was on his mouth I was like oh less cute what kinky shit are you into Feyre you do you because that's a lot yeah okay but then he healed her which was really cute well and I really appreciated that because she was struggling she was like you know I get it these are absurd things to be dealing with he's like no like it's bothering you I was like okay Tamlin all right Like, that was sweet. Thank you for not minimizing her problems. So I had to appreciate that about him. And then, yet again, we encounter dialogue about the mysterious she. We're back at her again. I dislike her. We have no idea who she is. We don't know her name. We don't know what she looks like. Uh, We haven't met her, and I dislike her because it's so cryptic. I'm nosy. I want to know everything, and I know nothing, and I'm mad about it. Well, and she's clearly not a good person, not a good thing. She's done some awful things so far. Right. And then she's sending her little groupie, I don't know, her little thug adder guy. He seems threatening. Scare? Scare them? Yeah, like he's he's trying to scare them. But it's also so confusing because everything that they're discussing, it makes no sense. It's something about terms being broken Ugh. like okay i literally highlighted this because i was annoyed it says she sets them loose as gifts in reminders of what will happen if she catches you trying to break the terms of terms of what tell me right now right don't cut them off i want to know what are the terms i said dot 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 really and we we get a new character the adder which we know like nothing about 
but more about the she. It says, speak you so ill of she who holds your fate in her hands. With one word, she could destroy this pathetic estate. She wasn't pleased when she heard of you dispatching your warriors. I don't care what she thinks. Because who is she? No. Also, what warriors are being dispatched, dispatched where? There's a whole other set of story happening that we're not even aware of. We haven't heard of warriors. Okay, we're jumping a lot because I can't help it. Before that, though, do you remember how we talked about last episode? There was a change that happened between Feyre and Tamlin. Yes. Like, we felt the shift. She literally says, lingering mortification over what I'd admitted, what had changed between us. I was like, yeah, girl, she realizes it. She knows. Oh, so she is aware. She is self-aware. Good. And the beginning of this chapter annoyed me. Like, annoyed me, but it was also emotional. Yes. So, like, when Pharaoh's talking about how, like, all the years, all the stuff she did for her family... And they never even stopped Tamlin. Yeah. And she was so unsure as to why, like, she couldn't do things and be happy. She was always guilty. Yeah. One, I related to that because same. But uh, two, I'm very excited, Libby, because I got to bring out the purple highlighter again. Is it the the skin to skin moment with the High Lord? I was like, oh, Feyre. Like, whoa. Mm -hmm. His lips were smooth against my skin, his breath warm, and my knees buckled as he lifted my other hand to his mouth and kissed it too. Kissed it carefully in a way that made her heart, made heat begin to pound in my core between my legs. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. You have not mentioned that part of your body at all. Here it is. And now you did. And okay. I love it because I always get, well, I love reading smut. It is like, hi, we're here. It's fun. I get so awkward. And especially when it's audiobook smut. And you can, my face is red. I see it. Literally, it is right now. (laughs) Like, I literally cringe so hard having to read it, but it makes me giggle. Um, So that was cool to bring out. Oh, hey, yeah. Can we talk about Tamlin's in the snare? And he... As Vera is petting his hair, he's purring. Uh, how do you envision that? I just feel like she's stroking his hair, and like I, no noise he could make, whether it's like a, a a a like a groan or like a like a like. There's no noise to me that would make it okay. <laughs> so on, is it? It's called onomatopoeia, right? When you like, uh, bam, shout, uh, wow, like those sounds. So when she says purr in my head, he's going. Her. No. <laughs> See, to me, like in my head, he's like, like, like one of those, yeah. like, yeah. And I'm like, no, <laughs> even that's not, neither of those are good. I'm like, both of those make me so uncomfortable, but yeah. okay. Right. And okay. So you're talking about, you're talking about when he's in the trap, he comes down from the trap and he <laughs> gives her poems with the words she forgot, which, but they're not pg poems but i want to know the other poems i am not happy that we got the most pg rated poem i want to know if he's like the best of the best at these dirty limericks i want to know what the others were come on bestie you have left us hanging so if somebody wants to send us what they think they were like that's cool too and then we move on in the chapter and we learn a lot a lot a lot a lot about the high fae we learn uh, don't worry back time with abby um, we learn that high fade mostly marry, but if they're blessed, they find their mate. Yep. And we've heard about mates before, but now we actually get a definition of mates, which is they're equal in every way. Um, you can 
wed without the mating bond. But if you find your mate, the bond is so deep that marriage is insignificant in comparison. What gets me is that with marrying, you have a choice. Mating, you almost don't. Like, you really don't. Mating is just this, like, sealed, locked in. Like, you could have found this person you love so deeply that you married. And then all of a sudden, like, just onomatopoeia, boom, smack in your face. (laughs) There, There is this person that you are destined for and it's like what you're just like hey sorry wifey like you are now insignificant so pharaoh like learns this information and then goes uh where are your parents (laughs) i'm like that's real weird i i guess she knew they were mated but we learned that tamlin's father was as bad as lucian's if not worse yeah that he had two older brothers and the family kept slaves also i didn't like that when Tamlin was like, I refuse to do that, that Feyre thanks him, you shouldn't be thanked for not keeping slaves. That should just be the standard. Shocking concept. Right. That is just the standard. We don't thank people for not doing bad things, guys. Owning people. Right. We learned that the older brothers, um, Tamlin was young when the treaty was forged, but he still remembers what his brother used to do to the slaves. And so that's the reason that when Tamlin came to Feyre's house, she didn't hurt or he didn't hurt her at all. Mm -hmm. He just couldn't bring himself to be like his brothers, which was cool. We learned that his mother loved his father deeply, but too deeply, even though he was like a monstrous man, his mom still stayed by his side because that was her mate, you know? And that makes me think the mom had to be just as evil then or just as bad because if they're equal in every way. I don't get that. I don't get how you can be mated and equal and he can be so awful and you don't mirror that in some way. I There's something not, we're not getting enough of the story with his mom. Then we learned some self-hatred that he has, that he thought he was only good for killing and fighting. Mm-hmm. He trained and fought for his father against whoever, whoever he told him to fight. He was going to keep doing that and he would have been happy doing that. Then his brothers and his father were killed by another high lord from another court. We don't know what court, but... Well, his mom, too. Like, everybody. He was the only one that wasn't killed by a rival high lord court. Yeah, so the mom was killed, too. A lot. I think that, like, Tamlin idolizes his mom. Because, again, like we said, there's no way she didn't somehow match her mate. So I I think that whenever it's going to come to Tamlin, he's always going to say that she was this innocent, perfect creature... I don't think we're ever going to get the full story from Tamlin. No. On a lighter note, Tam plays the fiddle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he just slid that in there, didn't he? We didn't get a whole lot more than he plays a mean fiddle, Abby. A mean fiddle. Oh, my God. I read that and I was like, that is the most random information I never asked for. Right? It's like, great. Cool. A mean this, fiddle. Tim Tim, uh, Tim Tim the Monster Man plays a mean fiddle. I need that on a shirt, please. And then we learn a little bit more about Fire Night. Not much, but something. We learn that it's a spring ceremony. They light bonfires and the magic they create help regenerate the land for the year ahead. Yeah. Also, we don't get a lot of direct information. There's a ritual and they're creating magic. That's all. And she can't go. You're not allowed. Go to your room right now. And Feyre can't go. She's not invited. Yeah, that eye roll, Abby. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I just want to say this is like Libby vibes right now. And I'm so proud. When we go, I'm so mad about this. First off, don't don't fucking tell me what to do. Like that first and foremost. So when a man is like, you will not do this. I'm like, watch me. I hate it. Anyway, 
I'm really mad because let's skip to chapter 20 because we already talked about the she things. How many times does Tamlin say, stay in your room? Commanding. Ugh. Yes. But, Feyre, why are you just doing it? She just accepts it. Ew. Just do it is a literal quote from Tamlin. Tamlin, this is an official invitation to fight me right now because what the fuck? Yeah. Go in your bed, chairmers. Just do it. Stay until morning. That alone would be like, absolutely not. I'm going to go. But the really cool thing is she just has this weird feeling that she needs to go. I love that. I 100% believe in trusting your intuition. Oh, yeah. That, Abby, you want to talk about my quote of the week right there. Like that, the description, because she accepts Tamlin telling her to, and she does. She just goes to her room and accepts it, goes to bed. But what's your quote of the week? Like the description of her, her urge to go. But a wild, wicked voice weaving in between the drumbeats whispered otherwise. Go, that voice said, tugging at me. Go see. Whew, what? She is pulled into it. I'm sorry. Nope. All bets are off. She is not held accountable. There is clearly something more working here telling her she has to be there. She is. She's definitely invited. Like, sorry, Tam Tam. She was invited. She was. Honestly, the three fa- fairies that were going to like lesser fae that were going to screw up. You know, I, I didn't really care because something in me was like, this is not going to end badly because the book has to, you know, finish. Obviously, we've we've got how many more chapters left? Uh, something's gonna happen, like, but not big enough. It's not gonna be that bad. But can we just talk about? There you are. I've been looking for you. <sighs> Literal chills. Who are you? Literal. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Anybody that says that to my feet, my my lead character, like, <sighs> and you know who else says that? Who? Hal and Hal's moving castle. Stop it. Your favorite. Libby and she just she doesn't freak out she immediately is like has this feeling of he's good don't worry like no panicking needed yeah I bet she wouldn't because she's in the middle of being attacked by these three fae and for someone to come up and interrupt that heck yeah I too would be like yep nope you are obviously good because you are stopping this thing that's happening and he puts in like a casual arm around her shoulder kind of like that's my person right and I love how he's like thanks for finding her for me enjoy the right like as a dismissal like go away just you're you can leave and they 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 do do. they are just like they don't question it like they have like fear on their faces like oh what do we do and who are you sir and what does she say but i stepped out of the shelter of my savior's arms and turned to thank him standing before me was the most beautiful man i'd ever seen which I have to say, she's saying that after meeting Tam. The first time I read this, I felt betrayed. Right. I was like, how dare you? How dare you, ma'am? That's not your boyfriend, Wolfman. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm sorry. No, like this is obviously someone of pertinence. Right. You don't just casually say the most beautiful man you've ever seen. And this is just some side character. No, like this is clearly going to be a character we are going to be dealing with and seeing more from. Oh, I'm just so excited because of course we know what happens. And we're so excited to lead our listeners through this mind-blowingly amazing journey. Take our hand. But this is where I feel like the book takes a turn in the direction I'm actually interested in. To me, it introduced a conflict in a way. Everything from the... 
there you are. I've been looking for you and putting his arm around her. And then she's calling, thinking of him as her savior and that he's the most beautiful man. That is a lot. That is a lot to happen in a couple of pages. And you cannot convince me this is not going to be a conflicting character. Do you have any other favorite quotes or was it just the one we discussed earlier? Just that one. I am amazed. I had a quote that I thought would be your favorite quote and you didn't even mention it. Okay, go on. It is on page 175 and it says, my laughter like sunshine shattering age-hardened ice. I like that visual. I know. That's why I was like, like Libby. I know. It just, something about the image can't even help herself. Like it's, she is being pulled to Cal and Mai without any reason. She's like, I, I, she was going to listen. She's going to do her thing. She was going to obey, which not, not a fan of Pharaoh. What the heck? But then there's this otherworldly feeling, this pull, this tug. That's like, go, go see. And it's just, it's not anything that she's doing or thinking. No. She's not convincing herself. It is an outer force that is pushing her. And I, I don't know, something about the image. It makes me almost think of in Sleeping Beauty when Aurora is walking up the stairs in her trance. I know, I'm not a Disney adult. Mm. <laughs> Look, she's walking up the stairs and she's like in a trance and it's like she can't even help it. She's walking up to the tower to go prick her finger on the needle thing and then go into her sleep. And that's what I'm picturing for Feyre. She is like almost unable to fight off the urge, fight off the need to go forth and go to Kalamai. And so I like that imagery a lot. But I do like yours is a much happier, prettier imagery than mine was. Can I tell you what my favorite quote is please do so i have one favorite quote and it's from tamlin a sentence i never thought i'd utter and it's on page 172 and says don't feel bad for one moment about doing what brings you joy okay yeah that's a really good one i i hate that i agree with him i hate when like tamlin's not the worst character when he gives me a reason to like him dang it tamlin oh and it was such a good quote because we were talking earlier that sometimes it's just difficult To do things that bring you joy because there's so many other things you could be doing for other people. Yes. And so taking the time to be selfish and do, some people call it self-care. Some people just call it taking time for yourself. That can be so hard. And so for Tamlin, who already has like those self-image issues, for him to be like, don't feel bad for one moment about doing something that brings you joy. Oh, I loved it. I was actually kind of shocked by Tamlin when he was reassuring her that like you know it's okay to feel the way that you feel and whatnot but don't feel bad that you're doing things that make you happy i was like whoa tamlin is this the same guy are you ready for our star of the week i am ready i i am very excited about her our star of the week is another one of libby's favorites well her name's chloe but she owns no one designs like no one designs and she specifically works with making pins, like collectible pins. Libby, how many pins do you own at this point? <laughs> I I can't I can't answer that because I would need to count. There are way more than we probably should have. Are we talking like hundreds? That's fair. That's fair. Okay, well you're about to have a couple extra hundred. Oh yeah. Her work is stunning. Stunning. You and I were going through her page and we're like, oh, that one and that one and that one. And she is just such a sweetheart too. She's very humble when in reality, she's one of the best pin designers I've ever seen in my life. And I am not usually one that goes, oh, I have to have that pin. 
but between the Azrael Shadow Singer Dagger wingspan one that she's got and it's wings with a collection of books and a sword, it's called the Winged Bookstack enamel pin. Between those two, I need, I need them. And she even has some Mortal Instrument ones. She has the Institute from the Mortal Instruments, and that is another series that I fell in love with in high school so that got my heart to like jitter but she's got the blurb that we asked for her little bio and i'm gonna read it for you now it says hey my name is chloe i'm a 25 year old cat mom and a small business owner living in south wales i love rpg gaming bookish things and all things fantasy if there's swords and badass females i'm all over it my bookish journey started back in 2017 when i decided to reread six of crows and things kind of spiraled from there as i started to get involved with bookstagram which involved me being a rep for subscription boxes and eventually led to me creating my own store i started my business in 2020 after realizing the pins i wanted weren't going to be real unless i designed them myself and i feel so lucky to have come so far i've had the opportunity to work with such amazing people on such a amazing projects and I'm so grateful to be part of this community and she's not kidding when she says amazing projects because again I don't like pins and I have three that are going in my Etsy cart right now within this community it's been amazing to find so many people that have been like you know I couldn't find the thing I wanted so I made it myself and they're all so talented they've all been so sweet and like so humble it's crazy because I'm like, you guys are like the bravest people I know. Like you are making a business. You are creating a whole new thing and you are going out there and presenting it to the world. Like it's amazing. I, uh... They are the highest quality pins I've ever seen. I mean, not saying much because Libby, what do you think? This is all, this is your realm. No, I, I like the quality of these pins. You can tell that she's put a lot of time and detail and care into her work and you can see the quality in the uh, in the work in the in, in the images on her Etsy and through her Instagram. You can tell that she she she's got really nice pens. I'm really excited about them. So as someone who has a bunch, I was reading through her reviews because she's got so many, and somebody said absolutely gorgeous. Bought it for a gift, and now I have to get myself one. I love that. We love her. She she's great. Do you know what I'm contemplating doing for my birthday? Because I can't figure out what I wanted, and then I it just hit me. I want something from every one of our small business shops Aww. that we featured. And I've I've got a few things, but I thought maybe instead of asking for one present, I'm going to ask for something from everyone's shop as my Christmas present. I love it. Or as my birthday present. That's a really cool idea. Okay, it's happening. So again, her Instagram is a doozy. It is N-O-0-N-E-D-E-S-I-G-N-S. It took me like three or four times to read that aloud. So there is, it's no one designs, but the one does not have a O in it. It has a zero. And we'll also link her Etsy and her Instagram in our little show notes like we do every time. Calling all dreamers. We still want to hear from you guys. We never not want to hear from you guys. We are always waiting to hear from you guys. Send an email to a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com. Slide into our Instagram DMs. That's pretty cool too. We really, We're loving that. We really love hearing from you guys. It makes our day. It really does. Like there have been times where I think both of us have just been like, is this, or is there any point in keeping doing this? And then we get like a message where people are like, this is, thank you. And we're like, ah, yes, we're here. I don't think this is not like, oh man, but there, there's a lot of work that goes into a podcast. Yes. I mean, at minimum, it's two hours per chapter between reading, highlighting. That's just the... And then yeah. editing takes about six to eight hours, depending on the podcast. Then you've got to upload. 
then you've got to do social media. So we're very, very thankful to see that there are people that still want this podcast to happen because we're really putting a lot of effort into it. There's a lot there. It does. It takes a lot. But yeah, every time we get a message and it's just someone saying that they got anything from this podcast, that they took away anything positive from this podcast, it's it's a huge motivator to keep going. So thank you guys. And keep it up, please. We, we definitely... Do not text each other screenshots of the nice messages and end up tearing up. That'd be silly. We don't, we don't cry happy cry tears over these things. No. I do a lot. I cry a lot. I'm a crier. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We'll see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you Corrected to panda, and I don't know what it was supposed to say. Panda! Oh, I love panda. I don't know. I Not the land. Frick. Okay, hold on. The panda. I'm just going to stop there because, and that is the end, but like, I don't know what panda was supposed to be, so. <laughs> it's frustrating. I'm mad right now. Panda. I'm dead.